0: Here in Florida, we have something special, the blessing of science. There's enough land here to hold all the ideas and plans
1: we could possibly imagine. It started in the mind of just one man.
2: East, west, north and south, all roads led to Rome.
3: Journey with us now to the dawn of recorded time as we explore the amazing story of
1: WDW w- w- Radio, your information station.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 219 for the week of April 24th 2011 Walt Disney once said that he hoped that we don't lose sight of one thing that it was all started by a mouse this week we'll remember just that fact as I have two segments that both involve Mickey Mouse first we'll venture into the Magic Kingdom and explore not an attraction, land shop or show but a single location in fact a single statue In this week's DSI, Disney Scene Investigation, we'll look at the history and story behind the iconic partner statue of Walt and Mickey located in the Central Hub. The legacy of and bond between Walt and Mickey goes far beyond one of simply artist and creation. In fact, Walt actually lent his voice to his most famous work as far back as 1929. And over the years, well, pass that torch to other men who became the voice of Mickey. And this week, I have a chance to talk with Brett Iwin, the man who, 80 years after Mickey spoke his first words on screen, took over that role of a lifetime. We'll talk about his personal story of becoming the voice of Mickey, the legacy, and the future. I'll have some additional information for you, then play more of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. One of my favorite places in all of Walt Disney World is Main Street USA. I love to take the time and wandering and sharing with you through the the books, the the audio guide to Main Street, the magazine, and so much more, some of the stories that take place there, and some of the incredible details. And as we reach the end of Main Street, one of the most beautiful and photographed locations and items anywhere in Walt Disney World is Cinderella Castle with the statue of Walt and Mickey in the foreground. And believe it or not, there is a story behind that as well. Not just the details of the statue itself, but how it came to be here and its prominent place in front of the icon of Cinderella Castle. And we talk about stories behind the stories. Certainly, no one can tell it better than frequent guest and friend of the show, Jim Corcus.
2: Well, Lou, it's great to to see you again, and uh, rosy-cheeked, and uh, all of this, and yes, this is wonderful. This is uh, one of my favorite locations as well, uh, too, and in fact, you know, Imagineers do say, everything speaks. In fact, that's one of the reasons that the Disney parks are theme parks, rather than amusement parks, is a theme is a story. And so there's stories behind why these things are located where they are the the creation of them and all of that and and I noticed you you mentioned that this is uh one of the most photographed uh, locations at the Magic Kingdom actually this is the second most photographed location at the Magic Kingdom. Do you do you have an idea what the first is? There's that Jim Corcus cardboard <laughs> cutout right at the beginning. I was wondering if that might be it. Ah, oh, that's that. That's close. But actually, the the first most uh, photographed location at the Magic Kingdom is the Floral Mickey at the front of the park. And again, another area where a lot of people just rush by, but uh even beginning at Disneyland that's how they associated this is Disneyland and that of course was the marquee to let you know that you were coming into a living theater what's playing at the theater why well, it's mickey mouse and then you had the attraction uh, uh posters there these are the coming attractions and then suddenly you're into the theater and you're you're part of uh the living experience but uh uh this is uh terrific the partner statue uh, always touches my heart because uh, uh, I love Walt so much and love Walt's uh, ideas and concepts. And um, well, but, but real quick before we talk about the statue itself, let's take a quick step backwards
0: because this statue was not always here. This was not here in 1971, and certainly I remember as a kid. And you can see a lot of the old pictures. The hub itself looked very different, and I if the the one thing that that impresses guests and still me to this day after being here hundreds of times is when you turn into town square and you get that reveal of cinderella castle in the distance at one point the reveal wasn't quite as spectacular because the hub was so much more built up with benches
2: and it was so the full trees. of trees yeah, yeah it was so very lush with trees and and you're absolutely right and that that was uh... actually that situation was even worse at uh, disneyland because as you know the the castle is so much uh... smaller and um in the uh, 80s, especially the 70s and the 80s, Disney was doing an awful lot of promotions. And so they were using that hub area. So, for instance, when they had uh, circus days, uh, smack dab in the middle of the hub, they might have the Wheel of Death, which is that big circle and the motorcycle <laughs> guy going around and around. Or they had the Blast to the Past, celebrating the 50s, and they had a huge, giant jukebox. And basically, what happened was uh, uh, John Hench and Marty Scalar took a look and said, this is ruining the story you're looking down Main Street and you should be seeing the castle of your dreams and you're seeing this giant box. you're seeing this you're seeing all of these things we've got to have something to prevent <laughs> operations from putting anything in that hub and uh... one of the things that they discovered too was that um, uh... it had been a while since walt had passed away so a lot of people had not grown up watching walt on uh on TV. So a lot of kids and they were even some college students they were doing surveys uh, thought that Walt uh, uh was very much like Betty Crocker, completely made up character, uh or Colonel Sanders who was a real person but was just sort of an icon, didn't have day-to-day interaction, you know, uh with the with the business. And um, they took a look around, and they they said uh okay, Kellogg's cornflakes, Kellogg's cornflakes very very popular and it's uh, even got the signature of uh, Kellogg's on it. Everybody's had... Ke- what's Kellogg's first name? Harry. William, actually. <laughs> Close. Okay, w- we'll do an easier one for you. Uh, Hershey, Hershey, Pennsylvania. He's got the all those great candies. They've got an amusement park. I know this that. one. Ask me okay, again. yes, okay. What's, what's Hershey's first name? Milton. Milton, exactly. Most people do not know that. And so, um, now, when you say Disney, most people come up with walt and one of the reasons is because they said let's get a uh, statue you know to commemorate walt and this was a bigger problem uh than than you can imagine you know yes it'll be great to have a statue there because then they can't put anything else you know around there we can still see the castle but walt never wanted a statue walt always said statues are for dead people i don't want a statue so they had to get special permission from walt's widow lillian disney uh to create a statue And in fact, um, the statue was erected out at Disneyland um, around the time of Mickey's uh, 65th uh, birthday. And then later uh, installed um, out here at Walt Disney World and then, you know, at at the Disney parks uh, uh, around the world. But, you know, in reality, the statue began in 1962. Um, What happened is Blaine Gibson, an Imagineer, and uh, very popular sculpture he uh, sculptor he uh, uh sculpted the uh head for uh, Mr. Lincoln and for the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, uh all of that in 1962 as a gift for Walt he sculpted a bust and presented it to Walt and Walt said get that thing out of here you know what what do I need with that and so it ended up in Blaine Gibson's garage for decades <laughs> Until Marty Sklar says we need a, you know, a statue of Walt, and so he pulled that out as reference, and so the head there is actually inspired by a sculpt of Walt while Walt was alive. And um, how do you begin? uh coming up with a a design for a, a Walt statue because Walt was so many things you know what represents Walt Disney and so working very closely with uh, uh John hench uh the dozens of concepts were proposed one of them had uh Walt holding the rolled up blueprints for the original Epcot in his hand and pointing with the blueprints down the street so you're pointing in the direction of where Epcot uh, uh is now in in one version they had um Mickey with an ice cream cone because they wanted that spirit of youth. And they thought that no, that made him look too young. And also, John Hench felt that that uh, uh, would emphasize carnation ice cream and, and have one sponsor. Uh, one version had Mickey running ahead and pulling Walt uh, along. And uh, so, uh, many, many different versions before they, they came up with this one. And one of the problems that uh, Blaine Gibson had was okay, Walt's going to hold Mickey's hand. What is the only reference I have of Mickey holding a live person's hand? Fortunately, one existed. And do you know what that is? Favor us, Jim Corcoran. Have you been to the Contemporary Hotel? Have you been in the lobby of the Contemporary Hotel? Does that help you?
0: There's that uh, the the statue in the lobby of him with uh,
2: Stakowski. Stakowski from Fantasia. So the only reference that. Blaine had was uh, Stakowski shaking hands with Mickey in Fantasia. So he used that as a reference of how would an animated hand interact with a live human hand. Now, um, Walt is pointing and he's pointing down the the street because the theme as Blaine Gibson told me of this statue is Mickey, look at all the happy people who have come here today to spend the time with us. And and you know
0: that the story of what is Walt pointing at has been the, stu- the, the subject of speculation and urban legend that he was pointing to Epcot, that he was pointing to the future, that he was pointing to his brother. So it's nice to know that there is some sort of a, a reason that, and you knew Blaine Gibson, Personally, and he told you these stories that that is what he was really trying to signify.
2: Right, because again, the statue in California isn't pointing towards Epcot, it's not pointing to all of these things, it's pointing towards these guests, and it actually comes from the story from uh, the night before Walt passed away. Roy was at his uh, bedside, and Walt was describing the uh, uh, layout of Epcot. On the tiles uh, above the uh, hospital uh, room, and at one point, Walt goes there. That's the spot. And Roy froze, and Roy goes, "I've been paying attention. What did, what, what is he talking about? What did, what did I miss?" And Walt says, "There. That's where we'll put a bench so that Lily and I can sit and see all the happy people coming in." And so now Walt has that spot where he can see all the happy people coming in, and he's uh, pointing to Mickey. Now he's pointing with the famous two-finger point. And Walt did point with two fingers. And what is the reason behind that two-finger point? You know, here at, at at Walt Disney World and all that, we say, well, this is more gracious because pointing with one finger is, you know, it, uh, spotlights people. So two fingers or the whole hand. He pointed with two fingers because he was holding a cigarette. He was holding a cigarette. He was a smoker, and in fact, he didn't encourage uh, kids to smoke. So if you go back into the photo archives. Um, at the Disney Studios you'll see photos from the forties where Walt has his uh, hands crossed in front of him or over at the side and he's got the two fingers and there's a little puff of smoke in the air but there's nothing between the fingers they've airbrushed out the cigarette because he tried not to do that uh, in public to encourage you know kids to smoke but that's where that famous point uh, came from and uh, one of the things that people bring up all the time is the little emblem that's on his tie. It's the Smoke Tree Ranch, which is where he had his uh, vacation home in uh, Palm Springs. And uh, I said, "Well, Blaine, how did you get the uh, proportions there?" And he says, "Well, Walt was about five nine, but he always liked to say he was five ten or a <laughs> little." And 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 in fact, he was a little self-conscious about that because when Disneyland opened. Both Fess Parker and uh, Buddy Ebsen were well over six feet, one of them 6'5". And so to have his picture taken next to them, he actually got an apple crate out of a photographer's van, put it there, and he stood on it. So he's standing up almost shoulder to shoulder uh, don't, with them. Don't look,
0: Don't look down at me like that as you
2: say that. Just because I'm, I'm standing up. for an apple crate over here. Um, and Mickey, we know, is three feet high. And the only reason we know that is because Frank Thomas was able to convince Walt in the movie the pointer they were having difficulty staging a scene and they said can we film you doing Mickey's voice and Walt says well if you're way in the back and you don't make any noise and all of that and in in that film basically Mickey is confronted by a big huge bear who's going to attack him and Mickey goes "Oh gosh uh, 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 I'm Mickey Mouse Uh, uh, you know uh, 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 um, Mickey Mouse Uh, 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 I hope you heard of me And he held out his hand exactly three yes, Jim Corcus did Mickey <laughs> <Gorsh. laughs> Jim did Mickey's voice. <laughs> gosh And so uh, Walt held out his hand about three feet high. And so that's how they know that Walt thought that Mickey was three feet high. And so uh Blaine combined uh those proportions. Now again, uh you know, in an earlier segment we talked about John Hench talking about, you know, the difference in color because of the skies and all that. You'll notice that the partner statues are different colors uh around uh the world based on um, not how they were created, but in terms of blending in with the rest of the colors of that area there. And uh I I I think Walt would be uh very happy to uh even though he hated statues I think, especially of him i think he'd be very happy to have uh uh that uh, statue there so and also so we can remember that you know this really is walt uh disney world and even just in the time that we've been spending here so many people a constant flow of of, of people uh taking pictures standing up there on 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 the railing uh all of that so um, a wonderful wonderful uh nice uh a little touch for this park and for all the Disney parks. And just one other detail that I always invite people to
0: look at is on his outstretched hand. He's also wearing a ring, and it's a traditional Irish claddagh ring that both he and I believe his wife also wore. Absolutely, you are absolutely uh, uh, correct. So and so, I found it fascinating as you were talking about the incarnations of what the statue could have been I said wow that's that's so interesting to try and picture it that way but to when you see it this way and you sort of think about the way you're describing it you almost couldn't imagine it being anything else other than something as simple as that as what we have now.
2: Absolutely I I agree and and here at uh, Walt Disney World it actually works on that other level by him pointing down if you follow that line you get down towards where the flagpole, where the Roy statue is, also done by Blaine Gibson. And I, I think that's Walt giving a little acknowledgement to his brother, who who saw through the dream out here to build the Magic Kingdom. Wouldn't have happened without Roy. And to see the uh, Walt's head, the Walt's bust, you can head on over to Disney's Hollywood Studios in the... Um, the courtyard over there for the... Uh, uh, Academy of Television, Radio Arts and uh, Sciences. Right. Uh, there, and as you so pointed out, uh, so eloquently on a prior show, it is the only statue there that's signed. Right, signed by Blaine Gibson, right on on the back there. And again, also that based on that uh, bus that, he, fortunately, he kept in his garage for decades. Normally, a sculptor, he, he says, normally people would just smash these things if they weren't going to use them. He says, I just didn't have the heart to do that, and I'm glad I didn't. Well, and so are we, because obviously it's, it's an icon of the park. It's, like you said, so
0: photographed, and I hope that this segment helps people appreciate more what it represents and the history behind it and what it, what it signifies for the millions and millions of guests that come through that uh, they get a chance to see it and hopefully get a chance to hear Jim Corcus tell more of these stories that only you can tell. Um, and again, to read more of Jim's work, Check out Celebrations Magazine. Jim is a frequent contributor with his stories behind the stories as well as to the, the WDW radio show. And to of course, find out more about Main Street and some of the other details and stories, be sure and check out my audio guide to Walt Disney World available on CD and download at WDWradio.com or iTunes. Jim Korkis, Disney historian, Disney expert storyteller extraordinaire and good friend thanks so much for coming on the show
2: lou always a pleasure i I know your listeners love the show i do as well and yes i've got copies of those cds i recommend them to everybody else as well
0: i couldn't ask for a better endorsement Thanks. thank you first time we heard him speak the words hot dogs in 1929 in a short called The Carnival Kid. Mickey Mouse became more than simply a cartoon character, he became arguably the most recognized face and voice in the world. In that first role, and for years to come, he was voiced by his creator, Walt Disney himself. In 1947, starting with the Mickey and the Beanstalk segment of the fun and fancy-free package film, the task and role of Mickey's voice was handed to veteran Disney musician and actor Jimmy MacDonald, as Walt was simply too busy to continue. In 1983, the late Wayne Allwine voiced Mickey in Mickey's Christmas Carol, and continued to do so until his passing in 2009, and that really was a perfect match, as All Wine was, coincidentally, married to Russie Taylor, the voice of Minnie Mouse. But in 2009, the torch was passed to a new Mickey Mouse and my next guest. He is Brett Iwin, and Brett, I want to welcome you to the WDW Radio Show. Wow, hot dog. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I was hoping you would do it, and, and I love the fact <laughs> that you lead off with it. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I certainly want to talk to you all about your, you know, certainly the role of a lifetime. But real quick, tell us a little bit about your background, because you didn't sort of start out as a voice guy. You were an artist, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I started out as an illustrator,
4: actually. went to school uh... ringling college of art and design which is in sarasota florida and from there i got a job as an illustrator working for hallmark cards in kansas city and that was always kind of my passion my dream was to work for disney and um... at an early age it was uh... i wanted to be an animator so of course i was drawing disney characters learned to draw by drawing disney characters and mickey mouse um... so that was always my background and um... you know oddly enough the background is what led me into the voice acting because it was a friend of mine from college who works at Pixar now as an animator, um, she received the internal memo uh, discussing the audition process that was going to start. Um, So she's the one who informed me of it, passed along the info, and because of hers, uh, how the whole process started. So Yeah,
0: yeah, and it's pretty amazing. I was an
4: artist, but it it eventually led me to the voice acting, (laughs) I guess.
0: Well, it's it's funny because you sort of always had that connection. You were a Disney fan. Uh, you were an artist. Even Hallmark, you know, Hallmark had their sort of historic relationship oh, with yeah. Walt Disney and the company for many years. But you know, Brett, every look, everybody thinks they can do Mickey. Um, some are obviously <laughs> better than others. When did you start doing it and be like, hey, I I can do this. I can I can be Mickey Mouse.
4: Um, you know, I. The earliest I can remember doing it was, you know, sometime in grade school. My my grandpa um, w- did a pretty good Donald Duck impression. At least, you know, at that age, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I could never do it. I, I'd always try, and I could never do Donald's voice. Um, so I just remember one day being, you know, thinking to myself, well, if I can't do Donald, maybe I'll try to do a different character. And um, like I said, huge Disney fan, especially Mickey. I've loved him as long as I can remember. So naturally, I tried to do Mickey. Well, it didn't really work at first. I remember, you know, attempting it, but something about reaching that falsetto just wasn't there. Um, I was a huge fan of Fantasmic, and after a trip to Disneyland one time, I came home with the soundtrack and listened to that thing over and over and over again. And eventually, I started to try and do the voice as Wayne had done it in Fantasmic. Still didn't work, but then at one point after my voice had changed, um, on a whim, I tried it again, and it kind of sounded good. At least I thought so. Um, at that point, it just kind of became a little little trick that I did for my friends. Um, I never I never really thought it was you know anything amazing. Uh, I figured a lot of people could do it, but it was just you know I'd give an oh boy or a laugh for my friends when we'd go to the theme parks, and um, that was really all it was. I I never I never planned on it becoming a, a career and especially in an official capacity. That just seemed, you know, unrealistic and so far to reach. But, um, you know, who knew? Now I'm here and it's definitely surreal and um, exciting and uh, overwhelming at times, but yeah.
0: Well, so you, so you hear about this opportunity, truly, I mean, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, considering the the short legacy of people that preceded the voice of Mickey Mouse. Can you tell us about maybe preparing for the audition and what that audition process was like?
4: Well, the audition process started out with a phone um, audition, a hotline they had set up. Um, Wayne's health had been declining for a while, and, and uh, sadly they decided that maybe it was best to start finding somebody who could maybe be an understudy to Wayne. So in that process, they decided, well, you know, traditionally, like you had mentioned at the top of the interview, that Mickey had come up through the studio's, So they thought, why not, let's start our search internally. So they sent out a a company-wide memo to all their animation studios um, discussing the audition process and uh, had this phone line set up. So they attached a script and there was an MP3 reference file where you could hear uh, some Walt clips and some Wayne clips. um, And what they are looking for was a voice match. They wanted you to get as close as possible. when I got that email that first night, I was overwhelmed with excitement. I couldn't believe that, you know, this opportunity had found its way to me. It was just it was unreal. Um so of course I was like overly excited and there was a I think the hotline was going to be open for about 2 months and you know in in the email it mentioned, you know, take your time, practice <laughs> to get, prepare for this audition. And I I couldn't I was so excited I couldn't wait. So I think my best friend convinced me to wait about three days, and in those three days, you know, I listened to that MP3 file over and over and over again, and I practiced, and I did it for friends, and I kept telling my friends, you know, tell me honestly, because I don't want to be one of those people who auditions for American Idol and says, all my friends and family say I'm great, but the rest of America is listening and going, well, I don't know what those friends were thinking. So, you know, I, I tested out for friends. They all were very encouraging, and uh, I think it was about three days after I found out about the audition, I... I called the hotline, I'm heart racing, um, shaking, and I, I left my name, my phone number and the audition. Uh, you know it felt like two seconds worth when I was done. And, and then I started being paranoid that, did I leave my right number? Did I leave my <laughs> correct name? Um, so yeah, my, my preparation wasn't much. It was, you know, it was definitely a little rushed, but um, I think just the, the excitement and the passion I had behind Mickey. Was already there, and so there wasn't too much I had to do to prepare to get to know the character
0: by any means. And so literally does the phone ring one day, and, and somebody says, "Oh, by the way, uh, just so you know you're going to be Mickey Mouse?": <laughs> Well,
4: uh, kind of it was a little lengthier of a process. The phone The phone did ring, and um, they you know, since they were looking internally, they, they assumed that I was somewhere in California. And uh, finding out that I was in Kansas City was a little bit of a shock for him because um, the voice of Mickey Mouse has to be in in Southern California around the Burbank Studios because that's where um, industry is and that's where everything happens and they need Mickey so much. So um, the idea of finding somebody and having them relocate was a little bit more than they were looking for. But um, after they discussed it, they uh, gave me a call back and said that they would really love me to be a part of that audition process because they were starting callback auditions at that point they wanted to do in-studio auditions and uh, so I had to fly myself out to LA took a trip out here with my best friend and uh, went to the studios did my first in-studio audition ever my first time behind the microphone in a sound booth Um, did that and you know at that point they had a few other candidates that they were having callbacks with so it was um, about two months I think went by Uh, before I was called in to start doing test projects. Unfortunately, within those two months is the time when Wayne passed away. And uh, never meeting him, I was still so heartbroken when I found out that news because, uh, you know, I had set it up in my head that I was auditioning to work with him, to learn from him. And, uh, you know, the, the honor of being Mickey aside, I... Was so excited at the prospect of having the honor to get to meet this legend and, and, and learn from him. So that was a really sad time for everybody uh, at the studio and the rest of the cast and even for myself. Um, but I was called in and started doing some test projects, uh, which w- were real projects that had to be done, but test projects in terms of me being the voice. And that was when I did a, a parade little segment at the end of the day for Animal Kingdom, and I started with some Disney on Ice projects. And, Is A couple projects after that is when they sat me down and said, you know what, we'd like you to be the guy. You're doing a great job. We'd love to have you move out here. So at that point, I had to pack up my life in Kansas City, sell my house, and move out here. Fortunately enough for me, out here is home. So I was essentially moving back home, but still definitely a a challenging time to pack up and relocate, especially uh, to start a new career that I knew nothing about.
0: But again, you're coming from Kansas City, another Walt connection. So it was really, Brett, it was fate for you to become Mickey Mouse considering (laughs) that.
4: You know, I I, I jokingly say my life has somewhat taken a Walt journey in a way. I I grew up in Southern California, surrounded by the Disney Studios and Disneyland. In high school, my family moved to central Illinois where, you know, Walt was born in Chicago. So there's Disney history in there at, at that location. And then I went to school in Florida, just hours away from Disney World. And then I ended up in Kansas City where you know Walt uh, had his early beginnings doing um, cartooning for the Kansas City Star and working for the Kansas City Film and Slide Company and, and eventually starting his laugh Studio, which is still there and um, where I'll be participating in a fundraiser May 7th um, with the Thank You Walt Disney organization who is, has taken on the task of restoring that location and, and saving it um, so that the history of it is truly appreciated.
0: Yeah, and, and I would certainly want to talk to you about that event uh, coming up very soon, sort of that private evening with Mickey and Donald. But let's just quickly go back to you getting the role, because I okay. have to assume, you know, you're, certain, you're you're doing test work, so maybe you don't have time to process it. But I have to imagine that you're nervous, or do you realize that I'm going to be the guy? I'm going to voice, really, Brett, the most recognized public figure in history, not only that— you're representing more than just a character or a brand or even a company because of what Mickey means to so many generations of people.
4: Yeah, it, that is the part that you know, as you say that, I get goosebumps because it's it's um, it's so surreal for me, and at the same time, such an honor. And I think I had that mindset going into it from the beginning. Um, you know, Wayne would always say, and I like to imagine Wayne would have told me that. we're just filling in for the boss. I'm just doing my part now as Mickey number four to fill in for the boss. We're carrying on that legacy Walt started and I'm number four. There's going to be a number five. Um, you know, starting out though, I was definitely nervous. I, I, this was so brand new to me to be, to be doing it. And, and the opportunity seemed so, um, out of left field that, you know, I was terrified. I would screw something up, but, um, at the same time, um, kind of like you said, fate in a way, it seemed like I, I had this feeling that, you know, I was meant to do this. This was, this is something I was meant to do. So um, there was a calmness in, in that sense, but you know, there's definitely nerves when you're stepping into a new role and, and, and thinking about all that Mickey means to so many people and, and, and knowing that people know what Mickey sounds like. And Wayne, Wayne brought so much life and emotion and gentleness and kindness to, to Mickey's voice that, you know, people, Expect and they want to hear. So um, it's it's you know it wasn't so much just being able to make a sound um, and sound like Mickey. It was being able to bring all of that um, to Mickey and, and and help him live on in what Wayne and Jimmy and Walt had already established. So lots of nerves, lots of nerves. I still get nervous to this day. <laughs> um, and 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 I tell people, you know, I hope that that never goes away because it's still surreal. It's still exciting. It's still very humbling. Um and i don't want that to go away i don't i don 't want it to ever go to my head or and i don 't think it will because i 'm i'm not that type of person and every time I get the phone call that we have a new session it's just it's just as exciting I, you know i'm a i 'm a Disney geek down in my core, so i 'm so excited to find out about the new projects like oh we 're doing a new parade or uh, a new toy or a new show it, it's it's so exciting for me to be to have that backstage view into it. And, and then when I stop to think about what it is I get to do, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's an honor and uh, a huge responsibility
0: as well. Yeah, no pressure being Mickey Mouse, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> <But> <laughs> no pressure at all. But again, considering that, you know, unfortunately, you've got this legacy behind you, and you did miss out on the opportunity to learn from Wayne directly. So in preparing for it to be the Brett Mickey Mouse, is it, Trying to craft his voice to be Wayne Allwine, or do you try and bring a little bit of your own passion and energy and, and personality maybe into the voice?
4: Um, well, you know, I heard Wayne once say in an interview that um, when you're voicing these characters, you start to recognize a lot of their qualities in you. And uh, when I first started, everybody told me that when I meet Bill Wayne and or I'm sorry, Bill Tony and Rusi, that I would quickly find out that. They are their characters. Um, and that's proven true. And I remember thinking to myself, well, am I Mickey? And, and you know, the more I've, I've done it, the more I start to recognize a lot of his qualities in me. Um, the, the shy, bashful side of him, the naivety, I definitely have those qualities. Um, so I, I think I can't help but bring those to the character. Um, wh- in terms of the sound of the voice, I know I am always referencing uh, Wayne and, um, I have, you know, a CD I listened to on my way to the studio just to kind of get me warmed up. But then also, you know, trying to go back to, to, to Walt Mickey because he, you know, he's the one who originated it. And I think Wayne and, and Jimmy would both tell you that, you know, they, they sought to preserve Walt Mickey. So there's definitely that that I, that I, uh, aim, aim for when doing it, um, Yeah, I think I think that answered your question. I got kind of on a ramble there.
0: (laughs) No, no, that's great. And it's great to hear sort of inside your thought process as to becoming that character. So you've been Mickey for a while now. Uh, You've been kind of everywhere, everywhere from Epic Mickey to uh, Mm -hmm. starting to come into the theme parks. If I'm correct, you are now the that's right. It's out of this world. Mickey on the people mover in Walt Disney World.
4: <laughs> That's right. Uh yeah, that was one of the earlier projects I did um when they revamped the the People Mover. So, it's there and I was actually there about a month ago and I got to hear it for the first time and I did not realize that if you stood under the the People Mover bridge, you would hear Mickey over and over <laughs> and over. So, I apologize to anyone who's sat there too long and <laughs> Listen to it for too
0: long. No, it's great to hear Mickey back on there. Uh, any other attractions in Walt Disney World that maybe we could listen for the, the voice of Mickey as Brett? Brett as Mickey? Oh, gosh.
4: Um, let's see if I can remember. Well, um, like I think I mentioned my first um, job was doing the Adventurer's Celebration, which is, the end of the day, Animal Kingdom, um, little little play-along, sing-along dance party that comes out with Mickey, Goofy, and Minnie, I believe. And I think sometimes it's Goofy, sometimes it's Mickey, but um, you can hear me there. Um, The People Mover, of course, and gosh, I'm trying to think what else. um, I I know there's some commercials playing right now for uh, Typhoon Lagoon and the water parks and uh, maybe some other stuff there. So yeah, I I do so much that it's hard to keep track. (laughs) (laughs) People ask what I did last week, and I, I have a hard time remembering because there's just so much, but the variety of projects definitely keeps me on my toes.
0: I'd to ask one more quick question before we talk about the fundraiser on May 7th. I always thought about this, especially for a, a voiceover actor like yourself, who's doing such mm-hmm. an iconic ca- character. You know, you're the guy. You are the voice. Is there no one else? Like, is there a, a backup Mickey, a Mickey understudy? Like, what if he gets sick or go on vacation, or is it? <laughs> do they do that frantic search, um, you know, if you get a sore throat?
4: Well, you know, I've, I've heard it um, explained like this before. There's, there's no Johnny Depp backup, <laughs> uh, you know. So um, we, we don't have, as character voice actors for Disney, we don't have backups. Um, you know, we, we do our best to stay healthy and have our voices sounding the best because um, there is so much work that we, uh, we want to stay on our toes. Yeah, so um, I, I am the fourth and only official English-speaking Mickey for the world, um, there, are, there's Mickey's, you know, for Paris and Japan and Germany. Um, there's guys that do the 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 dubbing over there, um, but yeah. Yeah, but you're Even the dub then, Mickey. I still get to do stuff for <laughs> those theme parks over there, so
0: you're still Mickey number one,
4: you know, in my uh, book. Wow. So,
0: all right, <laughs> let's talk real quick about the Thank You Walt Disney fundraiser on May seventh. Uh, That's a private evening with uh, Mickey and Donald. Tell us a little bit about the foundation and the event, because they're doing great work up there.
4: They are. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, the Thank You Walt Disney organization has taken on the task of restoring Walt's original Laugh-O-Gram studio, uh, which not only being significant for Disney animation, with Walt and uh, iWork starting out there, um, but a lot of other legendary animators who went on to work at Warner Brothers and Hanna-Barbera and MGM. They, they also got their start there, so um, there's a lot of history there in Kansas City. They are working to restore that building with the hopes of turning it into a, uh, an, a museum, an animation museum, an educational um, facility. Um, they've done a lot of great work so far. When I moved to Kansas City in 2004, it was really kind of a shell of a building. Since then, they've reinforced the walls. They've been able to pour a brand new first floor. Um, they got a roof put back on the building, and um, you know, they're on their way, but um, there's a lot of work to to be done yet. So they have these yearly fundraisers, and I'm really excited to be participating in it this year, um, along with Voice of Donald Duck and my friend Tony Anselmo. We'll both be out there for an evening of jazz and hors d'oeuvres, and um, we're going to spend some time talking about our journeys. Uh, I'll, I'll share more about my, my journey of becoming Mickey Mouse and um, the exciting time I've had getting to know everybody and work with everybody out here. Um, And there's also going to be a a silent auction and a live auction. And um, both being artists, Tony and I have um, donated a couple pieces each, a couple drawings um, that will be up for auction. And then, you know, of course, question and answer time. Just kind of mingle and greet. And uh, I think we'll be doing some autographs if you have anything to be autographed by by us. So it's going to be a great time. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think it's a great organization. I'm really excited to, to do my part in, uh, in restoring that because, um, you know, I definitely have a passion for Walt and the legacy and, and what he stood for. And he has so much history out there in Missouri, especially Kansas City, that uh, I want to make sure that gets recognized and, and saved for future generations.
0: Yeah, I wish I could get out there. For those people who are up in the area who want to learn more, you can visit thankyouwaltdisney.org. I also have a great article on the WDW Radio blog about the Lafogram Studios and uh, trying to refurbish those and bring those back from John Nell. I'll put a link to that In this week's show notes Uh, Brett I have to tell you It's been great talking to you When I told my kids that I was going to be talking to Mickey Mouse The other night they literally dropped their forks And their mouths (laughs) sat agape Um, But for you I can't imagine The honor uh, and the pressure That it must be being the voice uh, Of Mickey Mouse uh, you are carrying on uh, an incredible tradition and an incredible legacy that began with Walt Disney himself. So I want to thank you for your work and for taking time out of your day to, uh, to well, come and join us on the show.
4: Well, thank you. Thanks. It's been a blast talking to you. And like I said, it's definitely an honor to uh, be continuing the legacy. So thanks. I appreciate it.
0: Hope to get a chance to meet you in person someday soon. Definitely. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. I also want to thank both my guests once again. You can find many more segments with me and Jim in the podcast archives, both on www.radio.com and in iTunes. Be sure to also pick up a copy of Jim's great book, The Vault of Walt. I'll put a link to that in this week's show notes at wdwradio.com. Also, big thanks to my guest, Brett Iwan, the voice of Mickey Mouse, I'll put a link also in this week's show notes to youWaltDisney.org as well as John Nell's firsthand article about the Laugh-O-Gram Studios on the WDW Radio blog. A couple of other quick reminders. Don't forget about the Disney Book Club. Speaking of books, we are currently reading Ridley Pearson's Kingdom Keepers 4. If you haven't started, that's okay. You have plenty of time to pick up the book. Participate in the discussion on the WDW Radio blog. You can find out more by visiting the blog on the website or by visiting thedisneybookclub.com. Don't forget, too, about the WDW Radio Cruise 2.0 on the Disney Dream, November 4th through the 8th, 2012. That's Jersey Week for those of you up in New Jersey. For more information, visit wdwradio.com dream2012. You can also find a link right on the right-hand side of the homepage of wdwradio.com. Of course, I want the show to continue to be interactive. I love hearing from you lots of different ways. You can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. if you have a question you want me to answer on the show. If you want to be heard on the air, you can call the toll-free voicemail line at 888-703-2171. You can also come by the website at www.radio.com. There, you can read our daily blog posts, check out our photo galleries. Going to be posting lots more videos as well. You can also talk with other fans in a fun, friendly safe environment over the, at the wdw radio.com forums you can also connect with me over at twitter i'm at lou Mangiello, or join the wdw radio facebook fan page at facebook.com slash wdw radio don't forget too that in addition to the weekly podcast you can join us every wednesday night at 7:30 p.m eastern for the wdw newscast that is a live, interactive video news show covering Walt Disney World news where you can be part of the broadcast and discussion, talk about the news with me real time in the chat room. Again, you can watch and chat directly by visiting www.newscast.com. Again, that's every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. If you can't catch the show live, that's okay. You can come by, watch, and continue the conversation in the comments section either on the WDW Radio blog On our YouTube channel, we're youtube.com slash WDW radio. I'll also put the audio portion of the newscast in the WDW Radio iTunes feed. Be sure and come by iTunes and subscribe there. And while I love hearing from you via email and voicemail and all the other different ways to communicate, there's nothing better than having the opportunity to meet you in person and of course having you, the listeners, get an opportunity to meet one another. And it's for that reason that I have meetups every month in Walt Disney World. The next couple of meets are going to take place Saturday, April 30th at 3 o'clock p.m. in the Magic Kingdom over at the Sunshine Tree Terrace. For May, it's going to be Saturday, May 21st. That's going to be over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, the opening weekend of Star Tours 2. We're going to meet up at 11 a.m. at the Backlot Express. In June, we're going to meet up on June 11th. That's going to be in Japan for Japan. We're going to meet in the Japan Pavilion in World Showcase. Also going to do some fundraising leading up to that event to raise money for the tragedy that is still going on over in Japan as well. We'll also have another casual meetup probably right before Destination D and the Scavenger Hunt in just a couple of weeks in Walt Disney World, Saturday, June 25th, if you are up in the Linwood, Washington area. I'll be speaking and attending the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet once again. That's Saturday, June 25th from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. For more information and to buy tickets, you can visit pnwmousemeet.com. We'll have further information about upcoming meets, but also don't forget, we'll be out at the D23 Expo in Anaheim, California. We're gonna have a booth there. Lots of big things planned for that as well. There's also the 40-hour show. We're gonna do a 40-hour live video broadcast celebrating Walt Disney World's 40th anniversary the weekend of October 1st lots going on there as we celebrate the 40th anniversary the wine and dine food and wine festival lots more and of course You can find out about all these meets RSVP. And remember, anyone and everyone is invited by coming by and visiting DisneyMeets.com. Quick thanks to my partners and sponsors, including MouseFan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs. And again, the best way to get not only the best possible prices and discounts, but the amazing level of personal service that is their hallmark. You can visit them over at MouseFanTravel.com. When you're coming down to Walt Disney World, what about maybe a private home with your own pool, and spa, kitchen, game room, multiple master bedrooms, lots more amenities, everything from two-bedroom condos up to seven-bedroom homes? You can visit AllStarVacationHomes.com. And when you are in Walt Disney World, be sure and head to Downtown Disney. Check out Bongo's Cuban Café great live music and dancing on Friday and Saturday nights, but they also have great indoor and outdoor seating, three bars, an express window, and incredible Caribbean and Cuban flavors. You can visit them again in downtown Disney or check them out online at bongoscubancafe.com. And finally, if you want to stay in the heart of Walt Disney World, you can tell by my tweets and Facebook posts that I love staying at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin, not just because of all of real here there's 17 world-class restaurants and lounges but they're incredible guest rooms the heavenly bed the mandara spa lots more amenities as well you can check them out over at swanandolphin.com and as always my friends and you are my friends whether we have met or not yet If you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share a link to the show you're listening to or your favorite episode over on Facebook. And please come by, review the show and the free WDW Radio iPhone app over in iTunes. Finally, I want to wish you all today a very happy Easter. Whether today for you was about faith, bunnies, chocolate, or just enjoying a Sunday, I hope it was a day you were able to share and enjoy with family and friends. So, of course, my friends, thank you again for taking the time and tuning in. So until next time, remember to start to pursue your passion and follow your dreams. And when you do, always keep moving forward. Thanks again for listening, everybody. See ya.
3: Hi, Lou. This is Jen Tremley with, uh, from Bristol, Connecticut. Just calling to say I enjoyed listening to this week's show, uh, show number 218 with Randy Noble uh, from the Disney Design Group. Uh, I, too, am a Vinyl Nation collector. Um, in addition to uh, being a huge pin collector, I also started the Vinyl Nation collection uh, right after it came out. Um, I had to chuckle when you said you weren't sure if it was going to make it or last. I uh, also had that same... Uh, opinion in the beginning. I couldn't quite understand why all these little weird vinyl figures uh, all looked like Mickey, but yet they all had different uh, designs and colors and whatnot on them. But uh, it caught on, and I fell in love uh, just like everyone else has, I guess. And uh, I do, like you also, like the uh, theme park ones. Um, Right now, I currently am trying to collect the Muppets ones along with the Toy Story ones, um, as well as the theme park uh, series. And uh, it was just interesting to hear Randy uh, describe his uh, journey with Walt Disney uh, Company and how he became to be one of the uh, Vinylmation uh, creators. Uh, I actually, while I was listening to the podcast, looked at one of my Vinylmations, and I do have one of Randy Noble's. I do have the Pirates of the Caribbean um, one that you featured uh, in the picture on the show notes this week. So that's the only Randy Noble I currently have, but uh, it was kind of neat to see that I actually do have one from him. So. Anyway, uh, another great show this week. Keep up the great work, and uh, thanks for all you do, Lou. I do appreciate uh, all your time and uh, energy that you spend on your show as well as your website, and uh, I uh, am also looking forward to being part of the book club. I just recently started reading Kingdom Keepers, and uh, again, I just uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy what you do. So thanks for a great show this week, and I will uh, catch up with you later. Have a great week.
1: Hey, Lou, it's Jay from Jersey. We're driving back from the world. We had a great week there last week. Just want to let you know we did two new things that we hadn't done before. Uh, One was really good. One was a little disappointing. The first one was the Grand Gathering for Illumination, and I would absolutely highly recommend it. The food was superb. There was plenty to do for the kids, and the spot we had to watch the fireworks was awesome. So that one we're going to be doing again. The second one was the Luau over at the Poly, and the show part of it was fabulous. Loved the show. Uh, really neat. Performers were fantastic. Uh, the meal was very disappointing. Uh, you know, I would expect at a luau, and, uh, again, I, I didn't look at the menu before he booked it. I just kind of went with it. But I would expect, like, authentic Hawaiian kind of cuisine, and they served us kind of like chicken ribs, sort of like you get at Hootie Doo. So, you know, for that that piece of it for me wasn't worth it. Um, if the food were unique, more authentic, we might be going back to that one. But, you know, I think once is enough on that one for us.
5: Hello, this is Michelle Tate on Miss MEY from Yorkshire, England. Currently on honeymoon with my lovely lovely husband in Walt Disney World. Just wanted to say a big thank you. You certainly have made our trip more enjoyable as we've remembered your mantra. Don't rush. Look around. See the detail. And of course, we have to stop for the amazing carrot cake cookies in the Writer's Lounge. Also, massive thanks about the touring plans. Saved us So many hours as we've been able to choose the quietest parks, and despite not having access to the queues updates on our phone, it certainly helps us with the Excel planning whilst at home. Highlights of our honeymoon so far? Finding Tinkerbell in Epcot, the projection show on the castle, which is amazing, and we have still got some tours to do, Keys to the Kingdom and Future World, and of course dining with Cinderella tomorrow evening. Thanks for everything you do. Really appreciate it. And hello to my fellow Brits. Bye. You've got a friend in me.
3: Yeah.